The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 50, from the beginning to the end, deals with the meeting and subsequent battle with Sov Merriman. The Dark Cleric of Enthkadra, the Old God of Decay, has beaten the companions to the horn, but they have him cornered, and he cannot escape without going through them. Neither side is willing to compromise, so combat is inevitable. Before the fight, to everyone's surprise, perhaps even his own, Sov blows Blacknail's horn, and then destroys it. And this is just the first unexpected turn of events. Faced with the reality that his chances of walking out of the crypt alive are slim at best, Sov turns his most powerful spell, Finger of Death, upon himself. Having sacrificed himself to his deity, he is rewarded in a manner of speaking. Sov rises up as an undead knight, becoming Voss, the Moth's Wing Paladin. Eventually, the battle ends, and when the dust has settled, the anti-paladin has been destroyed and the companions have won. Or have they? Chapter 51, Part 1, Day 62, Late Afternoon, Party Status, Harl, 20 of 26 hit points, Gyrios, 19 of 33, Eridine, 11 of 14, Umura, 23 of 23, Grumblebelly, 11 of 11. Spells Available, Umura has memorized, Levitate, and knock. Gyrios has prayed for cure light wounds and bless. Grumblebelly has memorized detect magic. Grumblebelly's terrified face peered over the edge of a sarcophagus. Cautiously, he stood. Is it dead? Harl looked at the spot on the floor where the creature had been. Now there was nothing more than a pile of clothing, a male shirt, and a mace. I think so, he managed. He was breathing hard. They all were. The five of them, covered as they were in dust, looked like ghosts. Eridine has slain it, he said, now with more conviction. Grumblebelly emerged from behind the broken stone coffin where he had been hiding. His eyes were as wide as saucers. I never thought I'd see such things. I thought they were only in legends. Ophion's agents are real. And they are legion. 
supplied Gyrios, gingerly touching his neck where the anti-paladin had hurt him. Grumblebelly nodded. Is that... There was no need to finish his sentence. He was pointing at the ruined horn. It would appear that it was, yes, replied Harl. I thought that was a thing of legend too, to be truthful. The senior dwarf was walking slowly toward the center of the room, where the horn lay shattered in pieces on the floor. By the stones, I had always learned the tooth had been made into a hammer, and I wasn't sure I believed even that existed. Much that I once scoffed at, now I fear, replied Harl, frowning at the horn. Perhaps its destruction is a good thing, offered Gyrios. At least Barok will never have it now. When, whoever this was, Barok's lackey, I suppose, blew the horn, did you all feel it as I did? There was a short pause, and then, one by one, each of them nodded. I felt it, admitted Gyrios. And I, added Umora. Harl bit his lip, nodding slowly. When he boasted that he had already won, do you think? My friends, I fear the worst. The destruction wreaked by the sounding of Blacknail's horn was all around them. Rubble and debris were everywhere. The sarcophagi had all been split or sundered by the deafening blast. All but one. The sarcophagus at the far end of the room was undamaged, spared because Sov had been facing away from it when he blew the horn. This sarcophagus appeared to be attached to the pedestal that had once held the horn. Behold, said Harl, the final resting place of my Keely Blacknail. What do we do now? asked Gyrios. I have a spell that can detect magical fields. With your permission, Chief Stonecarver. As you will, Artificer. Grumblebelly performed a stiff bow to the younger dwarf and then waved his hands in front of him, closing his eyes in concentration as he said the words to his spell. Upon the utterance of the final syllable, certain items in the crypt began to glow with a soft pink light. There was Harl's axe, Umura's ring, Eridine's bracers, and even her potion, which glowed through the leather of her belt pouch. Additionally, the lid of Blacknail's sarcophagus emitted a rosy light. The Antipaladin's mace did as well. The horn, crushed to pieces on the floor, did not. Well, that confirms it, observed Grumblebelly. He wasn't looking at the remains of the horn, but at Blacknail's sarcophagus. Grithwhip was an artificer, like his father. It will be no easy thing to retrieve Makili's remains. The elder dwarf clucked his tongue a few times as he considered the problem. Clearly, it has been warded. Leave it alone, said Harl, to the artificer's obvious disappointment. The dead have been disturbed enough today. He pointed to the still-glowing mace on the floor. Gyrios, that weapon would suit you well. The cleric was hesitant. I'm not sure. It could be corrupted. Nonsense, replied the dwarf. The weapon is not the wielder. Besides, carrying the arms of a defeated foe is most honorable. Grumblebelly nodded sagely in agreement. Hmm, well, I will take it for now and pray for guidance before I use it. Harl shrugged as Gyrios picked it up. Grumblebelly was now pointing to each sarcophagus in turn, as though counting them. These must have all belonged to the members of the Blacknail family. With the head of the family over there, I'd guess that one. Now he pointed to a different stone box, its lid smashed. I'd guess it belongs to... Grithwhip said Harl, finishing his thought. Eridine made her way over to the sarcophagus and peered inside. She cocked her head and then leaned over to get a closer look. 
Her brow was furrowed when she looked up. I think I found something. Between the Lines Back in episode 47, I rolled to see how long it would take Sov to reach the vault and learned that he would reach it on the very same day as the PCs. That single die roll really threw me off balance because I had envisioned things playing out so differently. My expectation was that Sov would beat them there and escape with the horn, forcing the PCs to chase him down. When that didn't happen, I had to come up with something else. I guess it's obvious how it all played out, so there's no need to rehash everything, but you might be curious to know what happened in the hour or two before the companions arrived at Blagnail's vault. Sov couldn't just walk in and take the horn. I knew it would be protected, so I introduced the scything blade trap, which Sov avoided by sending a goblin zombie ahead of him. Further in, he would need to contend with two iron living statues, but a simple protection from good spell took care of that problem. According to the BX rules, the protection from good spell has the additional feature of preventing creatures that are enchanted, constructed, or summoned from attacking the caster in melee. I simply ruled that Sov cast the spell and the Gaxharn didn't animate. There was one final hazard, the glyph of warding. This he could not avoid. He triggered it and took a wound. After that, getting the horn really was as simple as lifting it off its cradle. But soon after doing that, Sov heard the din of combat from the direction of the entrance. He cast Bless on himself and prepared to face whatever was coming. The ensuing fight turned out to be a little one-sided. Even at full hit points, Sov would have had a hard time handling four mid-level adversaries. Five, if you count Grumblebelly. You see, I didn't expect the players to defeat the Iron Statues so easily. In terms of dungeon design, they were placed there to wear down the party, so they would arrive at the final confrontation somewhat depleted. Well, games never do quite go as you expect them to, do they? Anyway, I thought hard about what Sov would do. I knew he wouldn't surrender, that wasn't even an option. I figured that, in a fight, one of two things would happen. A. Sov's spells, especially Hold Person and Cause Fear, would be so successful that they caused a TPK. Very unlikely, but possible. B. The party would defeat Sov and get the horn. I thought this would almost certainly happen. It struck me suddenly that there was a third option, and as soon as it occurred to me I realized that it was the only option. It was what Sov would do. Sov's goal was not ultimately about retrieving the horn, after all. That was just a means to an end. His ultimate goal was to trigger an event that would cause death on a massive scale, in tribute to his deity. In a sense, perhaps he did win in the end. Dramatis Personae, Grithwip Blacknail, 614 years ago. Grithwip knelt on the brick floor at the far end of the crypt where the wall curved. His forehead was pressed against the cool stone of his father's sarcophagus. Long ago, Grithwip had drawn a warding glyph at each end of the heavy lid using ink infused with powdered diamond. If the grave was ever disturbed, a double explosion would occur of such force that it would not only destroy everything inside the sarcophagus, it would probably bring down the ceiling in the crypt as well. If anyone ever tampered with his father's grave, they would die in the attempt. He had made sure of that. Despite the latent violence present, 
This was the place where Grithwip came when he sought peace, and he came here often. Multiple times per day, essentially whenever he was not at work or sleeping, Grithwip came here to pray, to feel close to a father with whom he had never really felt close, and sometimes, like this time, to unburden his soul. There were some in the Tumultve Rulsa who had whispered about him, he knew about that. They said that he had wished for his father's death. Well, that could not have been further from the truth. Grithwip had loved his father, worshipped him even. They had really only ever disagreed on one thing. Father, every day until it is done, I will ask for your forgiveness. The horn is perfect, and my current work will be the perfect companion to it. I think you would be proud of all that I have made. Perhaps you would even be proud of what I intend to do. Grithwip had finished the horn twenty years before. It had taken months to complete. The work had not been easy, and it had required that he remove himself from the society of other dwarves to work alone, in secret. But one day, everyone would understand. One day, he would be worthy of the name Blacknail. Grithwip swallowed. Today, I complete the work, and then, finally, I leave this place. In your name, Father, I do it all to honor you, though I act against your will. His eyes were moist. Your great heart would not permit it. I see that now. You merely feared for the life of your son. But I will not fail, Father. Grithwip stood up and wiped a few salty tears into his graying beard. He looked at the carved dragon's tooth horn that sat atop the smooth stone lid cradled in its pedestal. The horn would herald his redemption. Soon, but not yet. He was almost ready. Almost. After a time, he walked over to his own sarcophagus, got inside, and pulled the lid shut above him. Okay, this is the hardest part of any role-playing game. Who wants to be the dungeon master? I do! Me! me. Everyone? We could aid a desperate town in their hunt for a savage beast. Or sail to a hidden isle full of talking turtles. I love turtles. Or tracking down a band of pirates to save your best friend. Five DMs, five great ideas. I guess we'll have to play them all. Set sail with us for a podcast adventure full of music, laughter, and friendship on Dice Populi. Listen to these stories and more at DicePopuli.com. Chapter 51, Part 2, Day 62, Late Afternoon, Party Status. With the exception of Grumblebelly's use of the spell, Detect Magic, the party's status is unchanged. The Artificer looked at the broken horn on the floor, then over to Eredin, and finally to Harl. Go on then. The horn is ruined. Go and see what Eredin has found. Harl wore a defeated look on his face. He turned to Umura, who stood close by. You know, our purpose in coming here was to take the horn and prevent it from being used. We have failed. I have failed. The sorceress made an awkward attempt to put a consoling hand on his shoulder, but he shrugged it off. You should probably come and see this, called Grumblebelly from beside the rogue. Curious, everyone moved to look inside the broken stone sarcophagus. It was surprising enough to find it empty, but the truly strange thing was that the bottom was cracked and there was light shining through from underneath. 
Eredin reached in with the tip of her sword and tapped the bottom. Incredibly, several pieces fell away into empty space below. If the horn blast hadn't cracked the sarcophagus, they probably never would have found this. A false bottom, said Grumblebelly excitedly. Where is Grithwip's body? Harl wondered aloud. Eredin tapped a few more pieces and they too fell away, exposing a smooth round shaft in the earth with handholds, evenly spaced, and carved into the stone of the tunnel itself. The shaft led straight down for a dozen feet before opening into a larger space. Follow me, said Eredin. Before anyone had time to argue, she had stepped into the sarcophagus and started descending the ladder. Grumblebelly looked at Harl. It's clear to me that Grithwip laid his father to rest. He must have been the one to wore the sarcophagus, too. Do you have any idea what this is all about? Asked Harl, inclining his head to indicate the secret passage. None, replied the other dwarf, shrugging his shoulders and showing his palms. I'll go next. Grumblebelly, you follow me. There may be more traps, and if whatever is down there is worth hiding, it's worth protecting, too. Harl climbed in after Eredin and began making his way down. He was followed by the artificer, then Umura, and then Gyrios last. One by one, they emerged into a circular room, roughly 30 feet in diameter. Like everywhere else in the vault, there was light, but no discernible light source. Unlike above, the walls and floor here were not of brick. They were smooth and curved, but there was no sign of mining or construction. It was not a naturally occurring pocket, either. It was as though the stone had been melted away, like wax. Artificer's magic, explained Grumblebelly. Can you do this? asked Gyrios. Me? No. I've not yet achieved that level of skill. This room, for it was a kind of room, was not entirely empty. Against one curving wall was a stone pallet of the kind dwarves tended to choose over beds. There was a pile of debris on the opposite side, including a rusted metal box. Harl blew a cloud of dust off the top, and then opened it to discover several trays divided into square segments and covered in a thin layer of black grime. Mine rations, he muttered. There was one other exit from the room, a hallway that stretched off for some forty feet before turning to the left. The dust over here is undisturbed, Umura noticed aloud. She peered off down the hall. Shall we see what lies beyond this room? Let Aerodine, Grumblebelly, and me go first, replied Harl. The three of them made their way slowly, ahead of the rest, and looking for any signs of danger. Eredin can spot a trap 25% of the time, whereas the two dwarves will each roll a d6 and succeed on a 1 or a 2. Here are the rolls. For Eredin. For Harl. And for Grumblebelly. It appears safe. Come on. The party continued down the tunnel, unhindered until they reached the turn, and then entered into a second room. This one was a little larger than the last, and more rectangular than round. It also had a single exit on the opposite side that curved away and out of sight. At a glance, they could tell that the room had once been a study or a small library. There were shelf-like cavities in the walls, and these were piled with dusty parchments and scrolls. On the floor was a small metal table beside a metal box that was identical to the one in the last room. Presumably, the box had served as a makeshift chair. Both items were frosted with hoary calcification. A large book lay open on the table, and the angular shapes of dwarven writing were visible on the pages under a layer of dust. A little glass ink bottle sat beside it, with a pen angling out of it. Grumblebelly blinked several times and then just stared at everything, 
slowly turning 360 degrees with his mouth in an O of wonderment. Do you realize the historical importance of what we have found? Compared with the horn, a bunch of old papers hardly seems... We'll want to stop here and itemize everything. This is the greatest find in centuries. Grumblebelly dropped his pack and reverently approached the table. When he picked up the pen, the ink bottle came with it. The ink had dried and fused it all together. He made a face and set it back in the crisp, dust-free circle that marked where it had been. He then gently reached forward and lifted up the book. It lasted but a moment before crumbling in his hands, raising a white cloud of dust that made him cough and sputter. <coughs> Blast it all! Nobody touch anything! Grumblebelly, you stay here and say what you can. The rest of us will continue. I'll stay and help, offered Umura. The artificer didn't even seem to be listening. He stared at his now empty hands in disbelief. Meanwhile, Harl, Eridine, and Gyrios exited, leaving the two magic users to deal with the items of academic interest. After they were gone, Umura reached up to take a scroll off the shelf. The moment she touched it, it disintegrated instantly. Damn it! She cursed and looked over to see the Elder Dwarf biting his lip and holding his fists tightly clenched. His face had turned tomato red. Umura didn't know how to apologize for that. What does one do or say after destroying something of extreme cultural and historical importance? The awkward silence became too much for her. Ah, uh, sorry about that. Was that book that you... Was that Grithwip's spellbook? She asked, wincing. As soon as the words left her lips, she regretted them. Something in Grumble Valley seemed about to burst, and then suddenly, his posture visibly deflated. He sat down heavily on the metal box, wiping both hands down over his face. No, no. It was more likely a journal. Artificers don't keep books of spells as wizards do. Listen, Umura, perhaps it's better if you go and help the others. Just leave all this to me. Yes, yes, of course. If she were being honest, she couldn't wait to get out of there. Umura hurried into the hallway, but instead of finding a new room at the end, she found Harl, Eridine, and Gyrios all clustered before an iron door set into the stone where the tunnel ended. Moments before, having searched it for traps and being satisfied that there were none, Eridine had tried to push the door open. Unsurprisingly, it was locked. When Umura rounded the corner, she was in the middle of an attempt to pick the lock. I might have done this earlier, when Eridine was looking for traps in the hall, but I knew there weren't any there, so I thought I'd save the fun for later. And, well, later is now. You guessed it, today is a level up episode for Eridine. First, she'll get to add a bit to her modest hit point score. A d4 roll of... 4! Huh! Well, that takes her from a 14 to an 18. Pretty good. I knew I felt lucky today. Well, with such a great roll, I don't even really care how these next rolls for ability scores go. But let's see what happens. The first is strength. She has been swinging her sword a lot lately. Did she build any muscle? A six. Yes, she did. Her strength of 12 goes to a 13. And wait a minute, that actually brings her into plus one to hit and damage territory. That's actually a big deal. Well, I wonder if this luck will continue. Let's try for intelligence. A five. Well, that was close. Wisdom. Another five. I'm rolling rocks, as the GCP would say. Still, only a six makes a difference. Next is dexterity. How about a six? Why not? Now I've got a four. Constitution. Another six. This brings her from a nine to a ten. 
No bonus there, but still. The last one is Charisma. Yet another six. Is this die broken? She goes from a 16 to a 17. Again, there won't be any major effect on gameplay for that, but what amazing rolls. All this luck feels very well deserved. Eridine has been such a clutch player time and time again. Of course, her hit points and ability score bonuses aren't the only bonuses that she gets, because her thieving ability scores improve across the board, most of them by 5%. And of course, she's using one of them right now as a fifth level thief. Eridine now has a 35% chance to pick this lock. But a 41 is not quite good enough. Eridine turned to Harl, shaking her head slowly to indicate that the lock was beyond her abilities. To be fair, she had never worked on a lock of dwarven design before. From behind her came the sound of Umura's footsteps as she caught up with them. Have you grown tired of Grumblebelly's company so soon? Joked Harl with a smug grin. Umura ignored him. Try the lock again, she said. Eridine sighed and shook her head, not to indicate refusal so much as hopeless resignation. She wiggled the little hooked wire in the lock as she had before, probing within for the tumbler. Suddenly, there was a little click and the door swung freely inward. Well done, girl, said Harl, impressed. He punched her on the shoulder by way of congratulations, walked past her and into the room beyond. By the stones. Eridine looked over her shoulder suspiciously at Umura, who gave her a little wink. She'd been waiting for weeks to try out that spell. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and want to support the show, there are now four ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. I have a new rules ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark that you can buy for the price of a cup of coffee on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My sincere thanks to everyone who has done any of the above. I'd like to read a review from iTunes today. This one was posted by Jim the Epic. Jim writes, Old school RPG and dark fantasy storytelling at its finest. I've been obsessed with this podcast since I heard the first episode and binged my way to being all caught up within two weeks. The storytelling is exceptional, and I love how the storyteller experiences some of the surprises at the same time the listener does with random dice rolls. Can't suggest this podcast enough to any RPG or fantasy fans out there. Keep up the great work and thank you for the plethora of inspiration. Thanks a million, Jim. Reviews like yours are humbling and very much inspire me. Knowing that there are folks out there who get what I'm doing, well, it just makes me want to try even harder. Thanks is also due to my cast of voice actors. Continuing in his role as the artificer at Grumblebelly is James Schrall of the podcast Subclass Act. And new to the show, but not at all new to the RPG scene, is a voice some of you may have recognized playing Grithwhip Blacknail. I'm happy to welcome Bill Allen of the very popular Bill Allen World YouTube channel to the show. My thanks to you both, James and Bill. For listeners who would like to get in touch, you can contact me on Twitter at Manticore Tale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Lately, I'm collecting questions for a potential future mailbag episode, so feel free to write me if there's anything you want to know. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls.
A new god, a dead king, and a world of consequences. Welcome to Seasons of Skyrend. I am your host and DM, Scott. Join our D&D adventures every week as we explore the world of Skyrend. We focus on the stories of our characters as they come to grips with their impact on the world and uncover secrets long since hidden. The machinations of gods and governments loom large against our party, but the only way to know what comes next is to adventure on. You can join the rebellion with Seasons of Skyrend, available wherever podcasts are found, and on Twitter at Skyrend Podcast, where the story will always continue.